Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast. For each week, we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. It's your host, Sean. It is Wednesday, November 9th, pre-Marine Corps birthday eve. Uh, so for all my Marines that are out there that are watching, uh, tomorrow, stay tuned. We're doing two episodes this week, which is something we don't normally do. So we're doing an extra one, and it's just going to be a bunch of Marines hanging out and telling lies. Trust me, there will be not, <laughs> not one truth told. But today, our guest... Needs no introduction because she has a blue check mark next to her name on, on Instagram, which I was like, look at this shit. Uh, who am I? I'm nobody. I don't have a blue check mark and I'm not paying eight dollars for it either. Um, you know, has a blue check mark. She is the Canadian crewing crusher. She is the rope dope rower from. I can't say Ron Concomo, but um, but we have brought to us today live we're, we're canada two for two this week so we we have with us live today miss Kristen roper <laughs> that's what it sounded it sound like the podium didn't it yeah 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 well yeah. nobody was there but oh <laughs> uh, that's oh uh, that's just so sad yeah it sounds great nobody was there yeah <laughs> You're knocking me for the blue check mark because I like we got them after the Olympics um, in 2016. And within the first week of me having it, somebody messaged me and was like, How do you have the check mark if you only have like a thousand followers? Like so much attitude. And I oh, was I, like, Don't hate the because player. I'm an Olympian. Suck it. <laughs> Suck it. I'm an Olympian. And that's so funny that as you're saying this, like, I. Like, that's what I feel like the tone for anyone who bothers me about something like that. Like, why are you doing this? This is unreal. I, I don't care if it's like I look and it's a 75 year old man yeah. who's who smokes Paul Malls non-filtered. I just feel like their voice as soon as they start is like, why are you like this? Like, that's all I hear. Yeah. So, well, well welcome to the bar there, Miss Kristen. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be here. Absolutely, we, we're two for two in, at, trying to get big in Canada this this week, so we're we're going two for two. So let's go ahead and get the show going here. Do a little bit of house cleaning, and then we're going to find out about what it means to be an Olympian and, and, and talk about training to be an athlete. All those things today. So first things first here, as you can see, we got the big board over my right shoulder, sticker and a cause. If you've got something you're supporting, something you believe in, something that's important to you. Make sure you reach out to us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok. It's all the Above the Bar podcast. Or email is the Above the Bar podcast at gmail.com. Send, send us a message real quick. Let me know what you got going on, what you're supporting. I don't care if it's a podcast, an athlete, a shirt company, whatever it is you got going on. Reach out. A little free advertising for you. And we'll put your sticker on the big, big board. Now, maybe your uh, media looks like it probably couldn't row row away row itself out of a wet paper bag you might want to reach out to media by dibs that's media by dibs on 
Instagram and Media by Dibs on Facebook. And if you want to look him up on LinkedIn, it's Andrew Dibble, no S at the end of it. We figured out that I can't spell his name right. But you Every read single stuff. first grader today. Every single first grader. Oh, that's right, Dibbles? Yep. yep. All right, here we go. Thanks, Sean. There it is. You're welcome. Because all the first graders listen to my show. Routine. Yep. Absolutely. This is required listening for first graders in Michigan. Um, so make sure you reach out to Andrew Dibble. He'll give you a 10% discount off your first order. And he's going to hook you up with a uh, free consultation. All you got to do is say belly up to the bar. So, all right. Everything's done. All the house cleaning is, is complete. I really, you know, I was looking for, like, I was going to look for the Olympic music for you, Kristen. Like, I was going to play that for you. And then I thought about it, and I was like, I know my luck. I will get sued. DMCA. <laughs> DMCA. Uh, well, the IOC, the IOC is, like, extremely protective over their brand and everything to do with all that. So you probably made a good call. Yeah, they, they would. And I would be the one guy where they're like, once we're making an example of this podcast, you want to play our music? <laughs> Look what we can do to you. Now play it, little man. Yeah. Like, I, feel I love like that, that they're weird, evil Germans. That's great. Why would, is it? Look, <laughs> is that not how all this works? The, the worst people in your life are they always, if they're going to make you do something, they sound like a weird German. If they're criticizing you, they mm -hmm. sound like a valley girl. <laughs> it, if they're chastising you, it's your it's your mother's voice in your head. These are the this is reality. That's true. Whenever you like, you know, mock somebody that's bothered you, you kind of always have to have that little tone in it, don't you? Oh, there, yeah. There's a voice for it. <laughs> or, or the earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you instantaneously go back to third grade, and you're like, here, I'm gonna go ahead and throw this out to everyone. <laughs> so, all that being said, how are you there, Miss Kristen? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. It's uh, I'm, I'm great. I can't complain. I live in uh, British Columbia, which is on the west coast of Canada. Um, so we don't typically get like crazy winters, but it's starting to cool down quite a bit here. So I've just been like snuggled up inside all day trying to escape. No, cold. It's no cold here, so I'll take Aww. some of your good weather that's not cold. He's the, only, he's the only American right now that has to go south to get into Canada. Did you know that? Really? Wait, where do you live? Uh, upper michigan okay so so he has to go south to get into get into canada from the continental united states how about that one i was just there i was just at the bridge i missed that last i missed that exit i'm going back to i'm going into canada <laughs> oh, well. i have i have made the other one crossing from niagara falls canada yeah. back in niagara falls u.s that could be a trip that takes you seconds like and they're like have a nice day to mm -hmm this line yeah. is going to take forever. And yeah. I, I've seen some craziness. But so for everyone who doesn't know what crew is, uh, do you want me to explain it? Or, or let me explain it and then you correct me. How's that? <laughs> I, was like, okay, I love that. <laughs> this is even better. I will explain it and you will correct me. Okay, sounds good. I'll jump in at the very end instead of cutting so you off. We'll if I see. remember, let's see. So there's three crew types in the olympic like sing, what like a single person two people and then like a whole boat of people uh here maybe i'll take a shot at it <laughs> <laughs> messed it up in the first go all right i thought that that's what i i saw so when i was there's there was like actually across both genders and weight classes there's 14 um 
different categories that you can race in at the Olympics. You were super so, close with three. But yeah. I was talking I was talking like there's there's like races so, where it's just one person in the boat, right? Races where there's two people in the boat, and then there's races where it's like what is it like seven or yeah. nine? So within rowing, there are two um main disciplines. There's sculling and sweeping. So sculling is when an athlete will have uh two oars in their hand, so they'll kind of do this motion and uh, a sweep athlete only has one oar, um which would only go out to one side so there are boats that have one two four and eight people so obviously a single skull will you can only skull in a single skull right like you have to have two oars um and then the two-person boat will have the double oar and the single oar discipline same for the four and then the largest boat is called the eight um, and that boat, there's only sweeping. Um, and that boat actually has nine people in it because there are eight rowers and then one athlete that's called the coxswain. And that athlete is sort of responsible for steering and has a microphone and sort of executes the race plan and so on. So I am mostly a sweeper. I can do both, but I've raced um, and trained most of my time sweeping. So I have one oar. And I spent most of my time in the bigger boats. So the eight and the four is the sort of boat class that I feel the most comfortable in slash have seen the most success in. Um, but during training, we sort of move around between all the different boat classes, um, depending on what the intent of whatever session that we're trying to get is. So, And then, you know, there's men and women um, and then lightweight and heavyweight. So in the Olympics, there is a lightweight double um that's the only boat that they have at the olympics um so yeah there's the rundown of all the olympic categories so what that, what's that what's yeah. that breakdown for the lightweight and heavyweight like how how big of a difference i mean uh like the lightweights different? just have to be uh, i might Light, get this wrong but this I is about to make me cry <laughs> there's two there's two people in in the boat it's a double so they each have two oars i think the average weight that they have to be is like 57 kilos for um mm. Get out the calculator. Women. Yeah, something like that. And then open weight, there's, you know, it's basically anything above that. So there's no. I gotta get my calculator. Hey, Siri. I'm so far away from being yeah. a lightweight that I don't even know what the lightweight weights are. pounds. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Siri. Yeah, that's I'm for the women. The and then the men are uh, a little heavier, obviously. So. Well, so I, I did my, my research on, on you, and I, so you haven't from what i found first off how cool is it she has her own wikipedia page i mean <laughs> fucking blue check mark and a wikipedia page uh, yeah. somebody might be okay with the valley girl accent <laughs> again don't hate the player i didn't make it <laughs> oh. <laughs> i hate to play i hate the game i mean but I was looking. I actually you, haven't seen that. I, I hope that the information on that Wikipedia page is accurate. I, it looks pretty. Well, you tell me. Mm-hmm. It looks to me like, and since twenty twenty one, not counting twenty twenty one. Okay. Uh, you have only in twenty nineteen did you not win some form of a medal for rowing, like twenty ten, twenty eleven, twenty twelve, thirteen. Two medals, 14, 15, oh, 16. I'm sorry, I missed that. 16, I don't see anyone. 17, 18, and 20. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
There's one is of it, our. Is it hard to hold that smile back as he's reading <laughs> off your plethora of no, hardware? No, I'm just thinking like, oh, that's a lot of years, Christine. You're not young anymore. <laughs> uh, well, what okay. So, so you're from now? Did you grow up in British Columbia? That that's. Yeah. No, actually. So my I'm actually a dual citizen with uh, Jamaica and Canada. So. My, I know, I get that reaction all the time. <laughs> Shocking, I'm sure. Jamaica, Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, my dad's Jamaican and my mom's Canadian. Um, my brother, sister, and I were all born and raised in Jamaica. Um, and we actually went to the States for boarding school. Um, I went to a boarding school in Connecticut called Kent. Um, and that's where I learned how to row. I had no idea what rowing was um, growing up. I there's no rowing in Jamaica. Um, and I was six feet tall when I was 13 years old. So it was sort of a natural fit for me. They had that sport at school. So I sort of started it. And um, once the rowing started to get a bit serious, um, through being a dual citizen, I had eligibility to race for Canada. Um, and so sort of went down that route. And then when I graduated from university, I went to UVA, University of Virginia for college. Cavaliers. Uh, yeah. PCC. That's right. And uh, when I graduated from, from school, then I, I got invited to train with the national team. And that's what brought me to live in Canada. Um, but like I said, my mom's Canadian. So my whole, like her whole side of the family lives here. My brother lives here now too. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of new to British Columbia, even though my, my mom's from here. But, yeah. So Taylor Swant, who's saying hello, is your op complete opposite? So where you're six foot two, in row, she's five foot one and is a hockey goalie. Oh, there you go. <laughs> she, just a, she just signed a semi-pro contract. So yes. Oh, cool. It was with the women in sports aspect. Uh, and then what did I tell you before the show was going to happen? What was the one thing I told you was going to happen, Christine? Do you remember? Maybe You're a hint. This part on air. No, I don't know. Read that off. Oh, yeah. You did say that. This, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that you'd have a buddy that was going to ask me about what kind of food I eat. <laughs> what, so, so we'll ask that we'll get this one right out there for Nate. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. And, and yes, Taylor, I hooked you up. I okay, you're five foot, not five one. I hooked you up. I was actually thinking five two at first, so I figured I'd go in between it. Um, but do you have, you know, because we'll get into this, but mm -hmm. you got to know it. Is there like a pre post win meal, anything along those lines, or is it kind of like whatever's there is there? Um, well, we just eat a lot. Um, so <laughs> rowers, we put in a lot of miles and we train, uh, an unnecessary amount sometimes. Um, at the time when I'm training, we eat up to like 5,000 calories a day, probably Ooh, for the women. Wow. The guys can eat up to seven, 8,000 calories a day. Good gravy. Um, and so, I mean, honestly, we try to eat as, you know, clean. If you eat crappy food, you usually feel kind of crappy, icky. crappy. um yeah. but i mean we just eat a t like my life is like eat train eat break eat train eat break eat train eat break so um obviously <laughs> after we're racing um you can you know have a few drinks and maybe not be as diligent about it but but yeah while we're training it's just a ton of food all the time so so you're you're up in uh connecticut you learn how you learn mm -hmm. through you, mm -hmm. college crew yeah so i uh rode while i was at uh at, at my UV. boarding school 
Okay. And then I got a scholarship to attend UVA, like on a on a rowing scholarship. So okay. I rowed there as well at the university level in the NCAA for four years. I want to double. I feel like that's a yeah. I feel like that's a huge thing, like that area, like the Connecticut, like Connecticut Harvard. Yeah, the you start sort of New England. Type, yeah, New England. Yeah, the New go. England yeah. boarding school um, rowing scene is actually quite quite big. Um, I mean, I don't know how many movies have started that way where it's like uh, i'm pretty sure goodwill like the hunting rowing has, boat. yeah as i'm rowing down pretty sure like silence of the lambs has it or something in the beginning yes. or well, something. Yeah. in philadelphia so there's so anything in philadelphia uh you're either going to start with the steps or mm-hmm. on the on the schuylkill at, yeah. at uh boathouse row yeah i feel like boston is similar too with the charles like there's yep. always some kind of now have you ever yep. rowed hudson we have a big crew scene up here where we where where I'm at in Albany. We have a huge crew scene. I can't say that I have. No, not yet. Yeah, that's like a like the high schools here, like regular public high schools mm-hmm. have crew teams around here. Yeah, that's awesome. I love to hear that. It's like I think it's it's not. I mean, rowing is not a popular sport um, in, in the grand scheme of sports out there. Right. So, and it's it's pretty hard to get into, and I think that's just the nature of a you know the environment that you need. You need somewhere that you can row, but then also just all the equipment that is involved, and the fact that it's all the people that need to be involved. You know, you can't just like pop on a pair of running shoes and go outside and go for a run. You know, well, you can't, so, and you also probably just can't be like, hey, we're gonna do our row meet here. We're gonna we're gonna compete on this. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's gotta be a lot of, that goes on to that. Yeah, even just like yeah, the safety and all the timing and the umpire. It, it, yeah, so. Um, usually takes a bit of infrastructure for a program to get going. So it's really cool when, when you see like high schools or just like development programs, getting people just introduced to the sport and then involved in some way or another. And like I said, I mean, I think you just kind of stumble on it. Like I had no intention of being a rower when I was like a kid. Um, but yeah, I got. was like, like mom rode, dad rode. It's, it's a family yeah. lineage or something like that. <laughs> No, no way. Actually, I remember the first time I got in a boat, I was like, this is absolute madness. Who would do this? This is like, what is this? But but the crazy thing is like, you never like, I feel like that's one of those underestimated things where you Mm -hmm. just said like, oh yeah, we like the calorie intake of the training where you're like, oh yeah, you're someone else. Like you get that macho guy like, oh yeah, you're a rower. Like, yeah, no, I could destroy you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole, so when and and this is something i've always found interesting so i love the olympics i i tell my my wife she likes it if it's on i'm the person that would be willing to take a week off of work just to watch yeah me too and get and get mad when i can't watch certain things like and i'm the one that i I don't care what the sport is if they had underwater basket weaving in the olympics (laughs) sign me up i'm watching it Mm -hmm. i'm all over it I, I even watched the water dance and, and that, yeah. like, and I'm impressed because I'm like, where do you get that buoyancy from? Like, like the sheer power in your legs to be able to hover and do it. I'm, I'm mind boggled by it. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. For, but the reason I'm bringing all that up is for you, where did, you know, we all think, you know, in the States, high school to college, but you're in a sport that your next level is the Olympics. That's where mm-hmm. your sport goes. When did you know or or make that decision like, eh, I think I'm going to go be an Olympian? Yeah. Like, like where does that come into your head? Yeah, that's a good question because I think that there are definitely um, sort of two types of people or athletes or Olympians, I should say. 
Um, there are some that, yeah, dream of the Olympics when they're four years old, they'll do anything to get there. Maybe there's a target sport that they have in mind or their parents were Olympians or they had some kind of role model, you know. Um, I was not like that. I, I grew up um, also in a family that really appreciated the Olympics. So my parents were just like you would, I mean, during the games, it was all that was on and um, very celebrated in our household. So I had an appreciation for the Olympics and I enjoyed watching it um, and, you know, got the goosebumps when you hear the national anthems or you see people emotional on, on the podiums and stuff. So, and I've always sort of been into sports my whole life being as tall as I am. It was kind of natural natural thing. So, yeah. Yeah. So I had an appreciation for the Olympics, but um, never once was I like, I'm going to be there one day. Um, But like I said, I I sort of stumbled on rowing when I was in high school um, and I swam was mostly a swimmer growing up. Um, but the, the more I wrote, I, it sort of became clear that that was my main sport. And especially when I got the, um, the scholarship to attend UVA, it then became like my sole focus athletically. Um, and I think for me, it was just very like, I took one step at a time and that kind of led me to the Olympics. So I yeah was rowing in high school and okay the next step was a scholarship to go to to university so then I went to UVA and then from there the next sort of step was oh okay well now you've been invited to 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 try out for the junior national team or an under 23 team and I thought okay well maybe I'll do one or you know so did that and then upon graduating it was like okay well you've been invited to maybe try out for a world champs team. So I kind of just like always went to the they next were always invite too. Yeah. And, and I was fortunate enough that I was, I just really enjoyed whatever level I was at at the time. Um, but it wasn't until I got invited to join the senior national team to train full time. Um, and I made my first uh, world cup team. So for, for rowing, we've got a world championships every summer and then every four years is an Olympics. Um, but aside from those, we have a series of World Cup racing that happened during the summer. So when I made my first World Cup team and sort of competed at the level that was no longer at under 23 or junior level, that's when I started to think like, wait a minute, if I you know, really focus on this, I could make it. I, I, might, I might be good at this. Yeah. I, yeah. I might be able to do something. <laughs> like, hold I only on. got scholarships. I only got scholarships, invites, you know, maybe I'm somewhat okay. I graduated from university and I was like, I don't want to get a real job. I'll just be an athlete for a little while. And then it just like all encompassing and ironically I actually got voted most likely to never touch an oar again um after graduating from from uva and so it's like oh, wow. pretty funny that yeah, that didn't uh, age too well did it yeah, yeah. no it's like <laughs> well it became my life so yeah um now, and you- then yeah and then I, after i went to my first olympics um uh, yeah i mean it's not uncommon to go to multiple games in rowing it's not like gymnastics where you peak at 16 and then you you know it's so women uh, and men, but women can compete into their mid to late thirties um, is not uncommon. So to see people go to multiple quadrennials is quite normal. Um, so after 2016, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm quite done with this yet. Just like kept the train rolling. And even now that since competing in Tokyo, I'm, I'm, I'm 32 now, but I'm still, um, I don't know. So can you just talk about how nonchalant that was after competing in my first Olympics? Like, <laughs> no, no, like let's not just let that slide by. Like, no, that, that's not a passing. normal. Like, yeah, I, I, I definitely appreciate that, but it's for us. It's like it's interesting. I speak to my teammates who are now some of my best friends about how you really get. Um, 
sort of blinded by the environment that you're in. So uh, living here and training at the training center and sort of being around that Olympic mindset all the time, when all of my best friends are also Olympians, the people that I spend the most of my time with are Olympians, you know what I mean? So it doesn't seem like this cool of a thing because for me it's just like normal I, I, not to trivialize it at all but it, no, it, I get it. it. it's um no it's absolutely. Like hanging out with other podcasts yeah. it's just yeah. like exactly you, you don't get paid for this either yeah yeah <laughs> no. you're go in the basement we're yeah. here because we love it right we're we all love it and i was just well you in your basement me and mine i'll podcast yeah to you yeah, no, I I get it completely. Yeah. But we kinda... and, and I guess like not to cut you off, but no, on please. the same level of that is sort of uh, it is when you're training, at least it is your entire life. It's all encompassing. It's like you're very focused on it all the time. And I know, you know, you're obsessed with being an athlete or going to the Olympics. And, and there are people out there where sometimes you'll talk to them and you'll say like, oh, I'm an Olympian. And they're like, oh, there was an Olympics last summer. Or like, you know what I mean? So they're uh, in the same way that people appreciate it and think it's really cool. There are also some people that like, really, you know, it's not their thing. And and that's fine too. But I can't, I mean, like if you're talking, it just seems like if you're talking to someone like, oh yeah, like, oh, I'm Olympic. uh, I'm a gold medalist in the Olympics. Like, oh, what? Like rowing? They're like, oh, I'm like, how can you just shrug that off? Like, oh, sorry. Can I I see your gold medal real quick, please? (laughs) I think a lot of people don't really understand. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I try to play devil's advocate and just, I assume that people that, that think that way just really don't grasp like how all encompassing an Olympic preparation is. And, and, oh, you know, yeah. every athlete that's at the games, whether it be like somebody who's a curler or a swimmer or a track athlete or a, whatever, like has dedicated, like, I don't know. Have you ever seen that picture of the iceberg where it's like the tip of the icebergs above yep. the water and then there's like everything that's underneath it. So I think that an athlete's journey to compete at the Olympics is quite like that. And by the time you're, you're seeing them on TV, you're seeing them actually competing. That's like the very 1% end of what was a massive journey. Um, so I yeah. just assume that like maybe people, people don't really understand that quite as much as, as the ones who, have been through it or maybe know someone who's gone through it to, to see it firsthand. Yeah. You essentially have to beat every other person in that sport in your country to be in that position. Like, yeah. Yeah. And there are some you, sports you are... that even just making the team in itself would be harder than competing internationally. So yeah. Yeah. Well, you've already got your first question and it's our favorite <laughs> Kristen Mana. Uh, she says you are amazing and so inspirational. <laughs> But she wants to know, can you describe your daily yeah. Olympic training schedule? Sure. Um, so we, I, I, I mean, this is just for rowing and in Canada. So I'm sure it's different per sport and per country, but this is what we did. Uh, uh, if you're on the national team or training for the Olympics, it's your full-time job. So um, it's basically what we do all day, every day. So we'll train six days a week, sometimes on Sundays, but most, most often than not, it's, uh, Sundays are off days, so we train every other day. Um, and every day we'll have two to three training sessions in it, depending on the day. So um, a typical Monday, for example, uh, we would wake up. Um, our first session would start around 7.30. Typically, the, the bulk session of your day is the one that's done in the morning, and that's typically on the water. Um, 
then you take a, a little break and maybe around 11 30 12 o'clock um we'll do our second session which is maybe something um in the gym so some type of core circuit or strength training um and then the afternoon session will either go back out on the water or maybe do something on land uh, a cross train like a bike or a run or maybe um the stationary uh rowing machines are called ergs uh, or ergometers but we call them ergs and so we do a lot of training on the ergs as well um and then yeah and then there's some days where we only train twice so it's just your your full-time job all day every day so our last session will end at probably like five o'clock i mean depending on the daylight and, and what time of year what it time? is uh seven thirties well it, it, so can, late, it can vary um seven thirty you're sleeping in oh <laughs> yeah i i i'm really thankful that none of the teams i had when i was in in high school or college were like the four o'clock wake up yeah teams because i don't know how far i would have gotten if that was the case. we were kind of touching on this uh before the show and, and we had talked about how some countries you know winning that gold medal and i do have a gold medal question for you get it it's a gold medal question sean i love what? you I love it. I love it. What? Here the better. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for that button. But um, you know, we were talking about how they, you know, if you're at that level athlete, they're they're they could be lavishing things upon some of these because there's normally it's very small countries that don't don't like they might send two athletes if they send that mm-hmm. that hear this from. But you're saying that when you were, you know, getting ready for the Olympics. Are you being, you know, is Canada coming in and saying, hey, we got you. We're going to there's a monthly stipend. You can pay your bills or we're putting you up. Or is this more like you wanted to be here? We love you. Here's a hat. (laughs) Yeah, again, I think that depends on the country and depends on the sport. We're fortunate enough in Canada where we do get funding through the government. So through Sport Canada. Um, We got I mean, there's different levels depending on where you're at. So when you're competing Um, on the national team and at the Olympic level, you get what's called a senior card. Um, And so basically it's just, you know, funding to cover basic expenses. That being said, it is not a ton. Um, And so we do very much rely on the support of uh, outside sponsors or, um, you know, even people that will help to fund the team programs to get involved with. Um, There are a few sort of performance bonuses so if you medal at a world champs then you get you know a little bit of a boost in your monthly stipend and that kind of thing um but it's hard it's very hard and especially i mean with the cost of living going up um it's definitely a challenge um and it's really hard to i mean i always found at least rowers are typically not your you know most sort of cocky braggy athletes Um, but you kind of have to be that way in order to support to secure like some sponsors or some funding um, and sort of try to get people to support you along the way. But yeah, so we, we do get um, uh, like a monthly stipend from the government um, in order for it to be the full-time job, but it's definitely, um, you know, not enough to buy a house and raise a family and save up forever and ever, you know? So is that, is that on you guys? Like you said, you have to go, like you don't want to be that mm-hmm. cocky athlete, but so is that on you guys to go and find, uh, like individual sponsors and then do you have a representative for essentially yeah, like your kind, team it, it, to go and is. find 
Yeah, it's uh, a little like bit of both. Sponsors. So there are a few people that or a few companies or groups or whatever that are team sponsors. Um, so, for example, while I was on the team, we had some um, benefactors who would uh, pay for a food card program that gave us a little bit of money that went towards our groceries every month um, or, you know, things like that. So there are some team wide sponsors, but I'd say the majority of it is really on the athlete to sort of kind of hustle and apply for different grants and um like one of them for example the banner going across the bottom of the screen right now is called uh can fund it stands for canadian athletes now fund um they're a charity here in canada that supports canadian athletes winter and summer games um and so athletes who are in need can uh, submit an application and then they receive six thousand dollars that they can use towards all things you know training whether that be uh your equipment or your rent or your you know maybe the travel that you need to do that year, like that kind of thing. So we're really, really reliant on just really kind people basically who, who believe in the Olympic movement and want to support people's journeys. Cause it's not, it's not easy. You know I mean? Not all of us are those basketball players. Is that, that like a million dollar contract? Right. Is that a one-time uh, grant or is it like a yearly you can reapply uh, every they, year? Or... I know with CanFund, they open an application every year um, and you can be uh, like, I've received, I was a recipient of CanFund multiple times, uh, but I believe you can apply once a year. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there, there's small programs like that um, that we really rely on. And other than and that, do you get, do you get help from essentially from like the, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to say team leader, but basically like it's someone that kind of briefs you guys as you're going into this thing and says, Hey, here's some of the opportunity. Here's some of the, so I got to imagine yeah. like some of these kids, like some of these kids coming in are super young. Like how to do it. Gonna, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, and you know what? Idea. Um, I'd say that that's sort of evolving. I, I can't speak to exactly what it is like now, but especially with the introduction of social media and that idea of like individual athletes being able to have that platform to market themselves, um, yeah. is still relatively new. Like when I first started rowing, especially on the national team, like we didn't have you know Instagram page. Like maybe you had a Facebook, but sort of that shift in social media as a marketing platform has really changed how athletes can sort of offer themselves up to potential blue check sponsors. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. Um, it helps. No, I, I have oh, it. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think now there is a little bit of guidance in how to do that. And also just like reaching out to other athletes that are trying to figure it out. And I think um, it's important. I believe it's important for, for national sport organizations like rowing Canada or, you know, swimming Canada or, you know, USA field hockey or whatever it may be to offer that support to the athletes, because I think it's like a very kind of daunting thing. Like how do I even market myself? Yeah. Um, but there are like, yeah, sort of so, so that social media platform and just athletes being able to, to use their brand um, has really evolved, especially in the last like four or five years. Like I noticed a huge difference after the 2016 games versus the, the games in, in Tokyo, um, just with that sort of, yeah, like Instagram, yeah, TikTok, it's, it, yeah, it's like, huge you know, too because they yeah. have to be able to know what essentially what, and maybe that goes into another question with you guys as publicists and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, are they brief? Like, don't you can argue, Dib. Sure, look, 
get give her your card. Media by dibs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like I mean, are you there know, are you guys briefed on Canadian like, crew crusher? Like I need a <laughs> now. Just, just. I, I got the Canadian crew people. crusher, the cuddly Canadian. Like I'm doing good. I'll just represent. Like, I was gonna say, you know, oh, I don't pitch have some it. more of those taglines. You know, I'm yeah. I'm loving the Canadian crew crusher, and just like her, you know, swolled up back on a rope. <laughs> Even better. Oh no, you have to tell me if this one fits because I love this. It just popped into my head. Okay, let's go. The shirt, the 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 boat, you rowing. I don't care if it's a real real picture would be so much better because I always love those one shirts. Mm-hmm. But you rowing with us in a sequin dress, like just the back ah. and rowing like that, kind okay. of like, like I love that imagery. I think that would look so cool, like because we just we don't think of athletes in in those type of ways. Mm-hmm. People kind of lose focus. Like, hey, this guy that you're watching on the rings that you're you know you're yeah, still, is a person. He's a person. <laughs> oh, and by the way, might be married with kids. Mm-hmm. Hey, this woman who who's you know you see out there and she's you know whooping that boat around. Oh, hey, she's a well, woman. She enjoys to go do those things. Yeah. You know, she has car payments too. Yes, car payments. <laughs> exactly. This is like a whole like how great. I'm not again not a photographer either. Whoever does my photo that I'm thinking of taking Olympic athletes on their equipment, but in an outfit that doesn't work. Yeah, want that. I think that's an amazing. Yeah. No, see, and I think that's the same. I think that's the same marketing route. I forgot if it was Nike or someone did. Um, the same marketing route, kind of. I think naked, Sports Illustrated, naked everyone, just that mm-hmm. pure rawness. And I think that would be the same thing. Like, that's a genius yeah. idea. Like, yeah. and now someone's going to do it. Sean's going to be like, oh, damn it. That was my say, <laughs> You don't say great ideas out loud, I'm, do you? Look, you know you what? I have, so, I, I have so many. I have I'm on so my many. way to Canada. Let's do this. <laughs> if, I don't, if I don't get my great ideas out, they just. They just <laughs> flutter away. Uh, Kristen wants to know, are you planning on writing or book or doing any inspirational speaking oh my gosh that's a great question um i do not plan on writing a book yet i don't know my journey is not over um but that's not on my radar but inspirational speaking is something that um tried to get into a little bit more especially after the success from tokyo um i think that yeah there's a lot to learn from a high performance sport environment um And I am a people person through and through. So I, I, I don't mind public speaking and sort of trying to, to share what we have. So um, I'm passionate to like help out wherever I can. So whether that be like corporate talks or just, you know, showing up at schools and talking to kids and just trying to uh, spread a little bit of what I've learned, like along my, my rowing journey is something that I am passionate about um, and very open to, um, like, I, I don't think I've said no to somebody that's been like, can you come talk about, you know, motivation or what, whatever piece of, of athletics like, works for so, them. But I don't think so I'll write crazy. a book. I don't know. Just sitting here, like, just I, I just had that thing like, oh, yeah, like, cool. I'm doing a podcast with Sean. Cool. I'm talking to it. Olymp- OK, yep. I'm just going <laughs> to sit here and <laughs> this is what I've done for kids in his life. I, I bring I bring this magic to him. <laughs> but now. Talking about doing these things and keeping on, and, and we've had, you know, to reference another guest we had, uh, Laura Amen. She is, she has a deal where she coaches athletes, Olympic athletes, okay. after their 
careers, college athletes after their careers, because she was a somewhere in, I believe it was Ohio. Mm -hmm. She was a collegiate swimmer. Okay. And she talks about how her last swim um, was the worst swim she's ever had. Um, worst of her collegiate career got out of the water and uh, her coach talked to her about it and she didn't realize, but she had physically defeated herself in like some psychological way. Mm -hmm. And I ain't trying to go down this shitty path, but I got to ask this question and it's got to be on every athlete's mind. I, I know for guys like Dibs and I leaving the service, this is the last time I'll put this uniform on. Mm. Have you given any thought to after, or have you done anything for yourself to kind of mentally prepare for that? Because we talk about it now. We saw the athletes in Tokyo taking a break saying, Hey, this is too much for me right now. Have you done anything like that for yourself? Yeah. Um, I think that that's like, we could spend hours talking about that topic alone. Um, I sort of think about it twofold. Um, the first bit is sort of, that, that I concept you were saying of, of how you end your career, like we prepare and train and work super hard for this one moment um, that is not guaranteed. Um, and I've had races where I've walked away with gold medals and I've been very successful, but I've also had a lot of really big disappointments. Um, in 2016, we did not get a medal and it was sort of the first taste of disappointment that I had had at that level um, and definitely had this like, you know, self-worth, mental battle, you're disappointed, you're really upset, did you just waste all this time competing to not end on this super high note kind of thing? And so sort of the first lens that I like to look at that in is, is really appreciating like their journey to an event and not placing all of the worth on what the result is going to be. And I find like in doing that, that can kind of just put a little bit more purpose behind something. So especially after coming back um, after the 2016 Olympics, I remember thinking like, okay, the main goal is to win. Obviously, like you want to do well, but more than that, I want to be able to lose and walk away with my head held high. I want to be able to have a bad race or have something go wrong and not leave thinking, oh my gosh, my, everything's a disappointment. Um, and that's pretty hard to do. And I, you know, I caught myself sometimes like having to really... Um, check myself like am I am I doing things correctly like could I lose tomorrow and still hang my hat on the decision that I'm making today kind of thing um is that, and then, about pizza? Is, that is that that decision <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of um, <laughs> also I guess like the sort of second half of that is like life after sport is a massive transition I think that there's more attention that's being shed towards like the mental health and sort of awareness of all of that um, for athletes, especially in the last like five or six years that maybe wasn't there before. Um, so yeah, I mean, you go from something being your, you know, my whole life revolves around this way of life, this way of training, the way I eat, the way I think, the way I, you know, operate like my mindset and you're targeting this one race. And the second that you cross the line, yeah, or the last time you put on the uniform, the last time I get in a boat kind of thing, you get up out of the boat and you're like, wait, what, who am I now? Like what, 
what is my purpose? Like it's, it's really hard. And even after the result that we had in Tokyo being great, like a gold medal, I was super proud of that. Like I definitely went into that sort of like post Olympic depression where you just try to figure out who you are. And the transition is very, very challenging. And I'd say, you know, I've, I've found some things that are helping out, but it is, it's not easy. So yeah, I don't know. That was a very long-winded way of answering your no, question, but I, and I, don't, I, I, I hope I got to it. But like, you, basically, yeah. it's about the journey, not the result. And finding out who you are outside of of, of sports is not not an easy thing um, to do. And uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. I, that was, you you nailed it. And Kristen wants to know what your social media where they can follow you. There is a, okay. a Facebook page, Kristen Roper athlete it's like an official like a legit facebook page oh is it yeah there's there's two followers <laughs> nice some other um guys. i'd say my main platform me. is on instagram so cf roper one five is my handle and that's like the same one that i have on twitter and i'm sure you could find it on facebook but i'm yeah instagram is probably the best one to go to so you made a couple of really good like, like when you're talking, oh yeah, like I want to make, I want to be a public speaker. Like you've thought about being public speaking. Like one of those things that you said definitely resonated because I just had the same conversation with a couple of my players the other day was oh, cool. there's so much value. And I told them, I'm like, I don't, I, I want you guys to win a championship, but I honestly don't care how you win. What I care about 100% is how you lose. Like that, that's what is it's harder. Really it's a lot to harder me. to do. It is. And then you said like the disappointment that you had in 2016. And then mm -hmm. uh, so in your head, when you're going through that process is part of it kind of, you know, we just got a gold medal. Now, do I end on this high note on the risk of the next like fit it like Sean was saying, where who knows what that next one's going to be? And do you want to chance it? ending on a lower note exactly I mean, like exactly yeah. and so and i that's... feel like that's such a like just a battle of your own mind yeah because i think i mean we're always growing and learning i don't think that in anything i don't think you're ever like perfect and un you know nothing else to improve so even after winning the gold medal i well, yeah got it we're good <laughs> yeah, yeah. um I even after winning the gold medal, I could still pick apart, you know, things that I wish that I could have done better or areas that I think I can improve. I think I don't know if that's just the athlete mindset, but you're constantly critical of, of how you can be better. Um, yeah, your number your number one self critic yeah. is yourself. I mean, that's and, yeah. and, and, and in, in a healthy way, like not in a yeah. way that I'm like upset about it, but just you know, self detriment. Like, yeah, it's no. sort of that that aim to improve is always there, regardless of of even if you're at the top, you can always get higher if you improve on things. So that's like a motivating factor to coming back, but you hit the nail on the head in that, like, there's a massive risk that you could come back, do all the work that, you know, goes into it, make all the sacrifices that you need to make. Um, and, and walk away with a result that you're not, that maybe, you know, isn't as fun as a, as a gold medal. And, um, I think that that was a huge lesson I got after competing in, in my first Olympics was like, okay, if you hang all of your worth in a pursuit on like how it ends, then it's, it's not, um, it doesn't really give much meaning to something. Um, and I find like, I've really learned that like the process and the journey, like how you compete, your mindset, how you prepare, like, those are all things that are way more important to me, in, at least than, like, 
the result at the end of the day. That being said, I'm very competitive. Of course I want to win. And of course that's the goal. Like I don't want to lose, but I think like, I don't know the way we thought about it. Yeah. The way we thought about it leading up to our race at the Olympics um, where we won was like, yes, we want to win, but more than that, we just want to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And wherever that ends us up, like we have no control over that. We can only control like how good can we perform? We happen to believe that at our best, we would be better than everyone else, but that's just like. At that level, you have to think that. Yeah. And, and I think like, I don't know, in order for me to keep going and to pursue the next one, I have to be okay with knowing that you, you could fail. That's like a huge possibility, but it's almost more, I think, I don't know. I find a lot more, uh, I have a lot more respect and admiration for people that aren't afraid a failure um it's not a bad thing um it just like it's an opportunity to improve and it doesn't mean that you have no like it doesn't take any worth out of the process just because you maybe didn't walk away with the result that you wanted basically now i'm curious i have some olympic village curiosity <laughs> you've been in the olympic village twice now, right <laughs> yeah yeah two very different villages which i was gonna say i imagine they were very very different from each yeah. other yeah 16 was china right Brazil. So Brazil. one was okay, a yeah. Brazilian oh, Olympic God, village. Like, that was the one that was so controversial because yeah. like basically the Brazilian Security. government wiped out entire like people's homes. Like, sorry about your luck. Call your local dealer. Maybe he'll give you a place mm-hmm. and just wiped them out. That's right. So I'm curious. Like, so we all heard the story in 2021 with Japan and the cardboard beds and that the rumor that was going around was they could only hold so much weight and they were doing this. So the athletes weren't, uh, causing trouble, entangling. That was the word (laughs) entangling. You know, there was, there was that, you know, going on, but first off, answer that one as the, was that what that was for? Did they tell you? Um, I, can confirm that the beds (laughs) in Tokyo were made of cardboard. That's crazy. Um, that is insane. Yeah, yeah, did were, you hear this from Dibs? Did you know about that? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I heard about it. Still, yeah, they like, were fully just... like the bed frames were all like built from cardboard. Like if you unfolded and collapsed it, you could just like collapse it like you would break down a very box. Japanese, like, very well, you know, thought out. And the, the mattress, I think, was made out of like recycled plastics. And so uh, the message that we were given <laughs> sounds so comfortable. Uh, yeah, no that's... complaints here. <laughs> um, but like the message that we were given is that, you know, the more the environmental sustainability piece, um, uh... which is pretty cool. Um, I, yeah, I can neither confirm or deny the All weight right. limit on How... said cardboard beds. Hey, hey now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get another one of those in for that one. Because now I'm like, I want to dig into that story, but I'm not going to dig into that story. But uh, look, Kristen's already like, I'll give you your information. Oh wow! Oh, that's she, awesome. Like I said, yeah, I'm I'm open to to public speaking. I'm not like the best at sort of searching it out, but I'm very obviously passionate about, about what we've done. Um, so, food, Olympic Village food. Let, let's go yeah. between the two. So let's go. Hold on a sec. So let's do this for a second. So Brazil dorms, yeah. Japan dorms. Yeah. Which so was which was better? For they were just very different um, in, in a few ways. For us on the rowing team, when we were in um, in in Rio in 2016, we actually stayed in a hotel while we were competing. So rowing takes place in week one of the Olympics. The Olympics is usually just over two weeks long. 
So rowing is in week one and we were living in a hotel that was closer to our venue um, while we were competing. And once we finished competing, then we got moved into the Olympic village. So slightly different vibe in that, like at that point entering the village, we were out of sort of comp- competition mode and more in, Have um, a good team. yeah, like you're at the, you're celebrating the Olympics at this point. Now you're meeting as many people as you can, trying to go to as many events as possible. We, as athletes, you get access to tickets to a lot, to watch a lot of things. And um, you're just like, it's just like, you're walking around with your eyes like this wide the whole time. And then yeah, socializing in the evenings. And so it was a, a very different mindset. Um, the dorms were quite similar from game to games, just in, in terms of like, it's just this massive structures that are put up very quickly. Like, I don't think. Well, what's the Sochi? Sochi is the one they talk about Sochi. And then there was another one where there's a term for the Olympic villages afterwards. And it's like, white ele- not white elephants it, it's but it's something along those lines mm. where they these countries dump so much money like sochi mm-hmm. for an example yeah there's nothing I, think, I think uh the sort of maybe uh sort of long-term goal for these places like i think in in tokyo all of the apartments were made out of drywall essentially because the plan was that they would after the games be like gutted and turned into apartments. So it just depends on like what the, you know, the long-term goal is. So they had a plan for it. Exactly. But in Tokyo, it was just so different because we were staying in the village while we were competing, which is separate obviously than what I did in in Rio. And, um, and then COVID was happening at the same time. So that in itself just changed the entire, the entire Olympic experience is completely different because of COVID. Um, we just were doing everything that we could to stay clean and healthy and not get sick. Um, and so it just like totally changed the vibe of the Olympic village. So versus, you know, in, in, in Rio, when it was like this celebration, this party culture, trying to meet a bunch of people see as much as you can do as much as you can versus in Japan, it was like, stay as isolated as possible to stay as healthy as you can. And then as soon as you finish competing, get the hell out of there. It, so it was a, it was a bit of a different. Oh, so there wasn't hard no to compare out. the two. There wasn't like hanging out for the extra week and a half for Japan. No, we we unfortunately had to, uh, like we were on a plane back to Canada the next morning, like oh, the next day, um, because they needed our space for, like there's only a limited amount of space. Obviously, all the athletes that are competing in week two, um, they move us out of the residence at the Olympics and move them in. So it was like a whole. A whole thing but honestly at that point like i think i can't speak for everyone for me i was just so thankful that the olympics were even happening um i mean the covid the height of the covid years were tricky for everybody around the world but originally the olympics were canceled then they were postponed and there was all this massive question mark are they going to happen like a lot of controversy around whether they even should happen so i was just so grateful that they were even taking place in the first place that like if they told me that i needed to wear 15 masks test 15 times a day like sleep under a brick like i, I would have done it because at that point you just like do anything that you under can to make brick. it happen so yeah i don't know how i pulled that analogy out here's your blanket sleep under it. it's just <laughs> yeah. brick. um so, oh, that's so great yeah and it was a shame to not have our families there um there were no crowds no family like it was you know the empty stands and, and that kind of thing was very so weird that- but yeah, how I was does just... that like mess with? Because I know in professional sports, like they mm-hmm. actually started 
pumping like a professional dip, dip uh, did you say her sport no. was professional no, no no but i know what you mean like in the nhl they getting like to that the crowd point that it's still a professional sport um <laughs> they, that it amps you up like yeah. crowds oh, yeah. can really get you going Definitely. i mean like and i feel like that silence too like i remember watching some ufc fights and i'm like this is awkward yeah like luckily, i shouldn't be hearing some things luckily with like, my sport fighting in a bar <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the crowd. The crowd doesn't really play a huge, as big a role in our sport. I mean, we race over two thousand meters. Like we're in these boats. Usually, the grandstands or the sort of the section with spectators isn't till you know the last five hundred meters of the race, anyways. Um, and you can definitely hear the crowd, but it's not. It's different from like an arena sport where the crowd is yeah. so sort of a part of it. Um, so I think just just with rowing i was just really lucky that it really didn't change much of the dynamic um having a crowd there or not emotionally it was you know having your family around or your loved ones there to support or just like having that network there is a massive massive thing but um you know that that i miss but at the end of the day like you do you. a different way to support you everything you can stream yeah. these days i knew they were watching me they just weren't in japan they were like on you know their couches at home instead but it was so it was we you know we're talking about you know the next summer games you're considering you know hey still got mm-hmm. still got some juice in the tank here mm-hmm. you know um i do need to discuss with you in the next olympics about you putting the above the bar podcast sticker on the boat uh, here so the camera can see it uh, and on i can include or, so like the or. rules of sponsorships and stuff are just so tight especially at the olympics itself the ioc just has like complete this is such a nice world. way of her telling you to no no listen i'll say this <laughs> i'm not allowed to race with like personal sponsors or programs or spot shout outs or whatever at a world championships or an olympics but I'm allowed to train and um, do all that in whatever I want. So well, I'll pop the Above the Bars podcast on a t-shirt, wear it on hats, well, whatever. You can get photographed it. in it. I just can't race. Well, just so you anything. know, every guest gets a shirt. Oh, really? Yes, that's a real <laughs> thing. I love um, free things. Everybody gets the uh, the baseball style. like the Because, oh, nice. you know, the Above the Bar podcast, softball bars you know it kind of has a vibe to yeah it. i get it i'm so, picking up so, so, so this is super cool like the whole experience is amazing like have they done obviously we've seen documentaries through other stuff mm-hmm. has there been anything like have you guys had a doc team follow because i feel like especially when you're talking about your training process like mm-hmm. just to see that start to finish and i mean and watch you guys go that journey of that entire year to where yeah. you're on the podium i mean have they talked about doing it yeah because Huge. It's a huge journey. It's so it's there's so many parts to it, too, which I, th- I personally think would be super interesting. Um, my team in particular, no, we haven't like done anything like that. I'd say the closer we get to the Olympics, the more sort of noise and media attention that we get. So in the actual Olympic year, we do have some like broadcast companies or whoever that will come out and they'll sort of film us for a few days to make, you know, media packages as they promote the olympics or whatever leading up to the games that's sort of the extent that i've been involved in myself um but i think yeah it's i mean i think not just in rowing in any sport sort of seeing the behind the scenes of what it takes to get 
you know, on the, the performance level for an athlete. Well, I, don't, is, I don't think people cool. really see, I mean, we see obviously the athletes, we see you guys performing, we see, but we don't see, and as, as painful as it is for you guys, but we don't see the emotional breakdowns. We don't oh, see yeah. a lot of times we don't see that, what you were talking about, that yeah, internal that struggle. Sacrifice like, or, yeah, or, can or I how keep it's all going? encompassing. It's not just yeah. like, it's not just the times when you're at practice. It's like the food that you're consuming, your recovery, how are you sleeping? Like, how are you spending your time when you're not training um, is also just really important. So in that regard, it would be really cool to see like that whole journey, I think. So obviously it's super intense what you're doing. Do you guys have like almost like backups to your team? Cause obviously like things mm -hmm. can happen. You can oh, yeah. like, what, yeah, what's, that look like? what's that depth, what's that depth chart look like for you guys so, for say like a team of four? <laughs> awesome. In our sport, um, like I said, there, there are all different boat classes. Um, that that will race under but for a majority of the year we actually train as like one big unit so let's say there are 16 racing seats so between the eight the four the pair whatever there's 16 people that will race we sort of will maybe keep like 20 people in the training environment and sort of change combinations of those seats the lineups and the selection process really doesn't happen until the, the sort of tail end of the competition year yep. um but at, at, with a team that size, like when you're dealing with 20 people at, at any point in time, there's almost always someone that is sick or injured or something. So sort of that the reserves in the backup and the plan B um, thing is, it's huge. It's like, it would be impossible without your alternates and the backups, like absolutely impossible. Now, how about for you, you know, as this next, and I, where is the next summer games? Paris in 2024. Okay, Paris in 2024. Yeah. Again, I'm hearing not a bad city yet. Uh, <laughs> I'm just an Olympic pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> but what's um, like for you to go from working out and staying as an active person mm -hmm. to getting back in shape? <laughs> to, yeah, to getting to, to a competitive level. level what's, mm -hmm. I mean, you've been doing it, you know, for, would you say you were like 12 when you started probably? So 20 years? Yeah, I was, I was 13 or 14 when I first started rowing. So it's been. So 18, 19 years yeah. you've been doing You've been mm -hmm. doing it. What does it take Whoa. for you? <laughs> all right. Shit all over. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Sean, you like five go. years, six years. <laughs> I'm sorry here. No, but yeah. How, how would I anything at Andy's own affair. <laughs> uh, but what is it? What is that time like yeah. for you to, to go from? All right. Let me turn it on. And yeah. Let's go. I think I'm lucky in that because I have been rowing for so long. Um, that base is, is there. Um, but it will definitely take, like it would take a few months for sure to sort of ramp up from, you know, at, at this current state, I maybe work out for like an hour a day, five to six days a week. So oh, you're sort it. of adding, no, but that, I mean, that's <laughs> like in the grand scheme of training full time, yeah, that's that is, nothing. Right. Yeah. So you sort of, over the course of a few months, I think in order to avoid injury, um, you kind of need to naturally ease back in. So just like gradually upping the volume that you're doing, introducing more of what you're doing in the gym to strengthen. Um, and then with our sport, especially um, time in the, so you can be fit, like you can be able to go for long runs or bike for a long time or whatever, but be, be cardiovascularly fit. But that's a difference between being able to be in the boat and get the technical piece and like more rowing specific fitness um 
so yeah, it would definitely take a few months of sort of reintegrating into that full-time pattern. But the good news is, I think being somebody that's rode for so long, it I don't think it would be as hard a process as maybe somebody that's newer in the sport. Not gonna so be what is that rowing specific, like you said, rowing specific mm-hmm. workouts? Like what are you looking at? Obviously. Yeah. Well, um, I mean the body, first of all, like the physical toll on the body, the, the main muscles that you use when you're in a boat, obviously your legs and a lot of strain on your mid drift or sorry, your midsection. And then you've got your arms. And so it's, it's getting your body into that fitness of like the, like sort of activating the right muscles. If that makes sense. Um, I think if you're somebody, for example, that, that runs, you know, 10 miles a day or something, like you could be a super good runner, you jump into a pool and do that equivalent of time swimming. And it's going to completely exhaust you because it's just a different uh, modality. You're yeah, engaging different muscle groups and sort of a different activity in the same way, when you jump into a boat, it's, your your body is doing a new movement, so it's going to fatigue yep. you quicker. Um, and then also just the technical aspect. So um, rowing is, yes, very physical, uh, a lot of fitness and a lot of strength involved, but there's a huge amount of technique involved as well. Um, and I do think it takes a little bit of time to sort of, you know, get back in tune with what you need to be feeling, um, the mechanics, the the very very picky technical elements of, of, of what we do as well. So, yeah. So we're going to get ready. Do I want to do this? It sounds like a big hill to climb. Right. We're just talking. I don't know. I just talked to someone that's got a PR firm. Like, man, I I could cut this off. So you're saying for 10 to $30,000, I can run my face for an hour and you'll (laughs) pay me and schedule this. Cause people just want to hear how, I was good at something and, yeah. they and I don't have to, <laughs> and I don't have to work out for 13 Wait hours a, a day. <laughs> will they pay? Will I have a rider? Like Listen, I, when I, you I, guys I, find this line for me, you give me a call. Cause <laughs> are you, Oh, look, trust me. I have thought heavily on the public speaking and being a motivational speaker. Mm. Cause I am a motivational person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a special way of doing it, but, uh, I've thought about it and you start looking at these numbers people who just, who just do it and are are decent at it and get booked for deals. They could be low end five grand and then just go. And then these celebrities who I don't know why people would want to hear them speak at this, but they they're like, yeah, Uh, especially politicians Mm -hmm. easily six figure numbers. You start getting the ones like former presidents, quarter of a million dollars and better just to stand up there and go i'm pretty awesome yeah you know it's funny when you when you say just to stand up there because it's funny the first sort of speech or talk or whatever that we did after the olympics we did as a boat um so all of my teammates all nine of us were invited to speak um at for a finance company that helped uh support us a little bit during the olympics which was really awesome we ended up just like the topics that they gave us um, that they wanted us to elaborate on. We're just, you know, what is your day to day like? Uh, highlight a few key key aspects of your environment. While we were talking about it, I remember like hanging up the call and being like weird because you're just talking about what is your day to day, right? What is your normal? Yes. Nothing that we were saying yeah. felt extremely out of the box because for us it was like practiced, rehearsed. It was it was it was our normal. Yeah. And 
I remember ending the call going, oh man, like, I hope that like, they probably just thought that was so like, what did we pay these people for? Like, the, you know what I mean? And the feedback that we got was, was so cool. I think, and it, it just like, it really highlighted to me that like, yes, yeah, something for me that feels very trivial um, or very normal for someone else is like a new concept or maybe it's pretty cool in the same way that I would probably hear like, you know, someone with your guys's background speak about your time in the military and that kind of stuff. Like I would, you know, but for you, it's probably like pretty normal. So um, once I started, started looking at it that way, like I don't need to come up with these extremely crazy stories or right. make anything up. I just need to like talk about what was my day to day and like how I experienced it. And maybe that will spark a little bit of interest in somebody that has no idea what this environment really is like. It's Absolutely. crazy. So we're, we're going to get ready to close this thing up. It's mm -hmm. about that time. Don't log off afterwards. You and I got to talk for a moment. <laughs> okay. uh, any, I know you said you're not competing right now, but anything coming up, I, we've talked about can fun, make sure folks, if you go, Google can fun uh, and you're looking to support an athlete, Definitely. a Canadian athlete, you know, this is a great, great opportunity for you. Uh, you know, we, we joke around about what they, they, the Canadian side is, I would think is very similar to the U S in the sense that they're amateur athletes. You know, they're not in that world. This is, there really is a, a passion for what, what they do. So in some of these ones, governments don't take care of them, you know, yeah. the, the dream team all had their own money. They, they, they got to the Olympics, they get there on their own. It's not yeah. a real, real issue for those folks, you know, but, you know, those smaller athletes that they need, need your support. They need you to be out there for them. Anything coming up, maybe somewhere besides can, or are you competing? I don't, I don't know. Is there like a, like an, I know like you can have like senior, senior hockey, you know, shorty. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I'm not rowing at the moment. So individually there isn't anything this coming weekend is the national rowing championships in Canada. So uh, it's every year and uh, all of the uh, national team athletes participate in that in that regatta along with clubs and sort of every level of, of athletes. So that's happening this weekend, which is kind of a fun thing in the rowing world. Um, but yeah, as far as me, unfortunately, I'm not rowing at the moment. So I don't have anything that's like, hey, check me out in a few months in this. But um, the the next sort of season of international racing picks up again next spring um, with the World Cup circuit, um, and then the World Championships um, are next summer in, I believe they're in September or August. Uh, I don't know the date exactly. I should. Um, but that regatta is actually the part one of the Olympic qualifying um, so you got to get your shit experience. Yeah. So See. you, you know, success at that regatta could mean a qualifying spot at the, at the Olympics in 2024. So that's like sort of, so you got to go um, as I, as I spend the next few months, like trying to get back in shape. That's what's on my radar is, is those, those qualifiers. Well, so how, can, how can we watch those? I mean, I know you mentioned the Olympic yeah. streaming, obviously. Yeah, all they're stuff. all, I mean, it's really great. Uh, world, world rowing is our uh, international governing body. Um, and they, yeah, they live stream all of the races, which oh, is nice. pretty cool. So they've got the website and you can live stream everything. Um, and then you can even watch recordings of races because I mean, if the racing is in Europe and happens at 2am your time or something, you can watch recording of past races um, up to, I think like the, you know, early 2000s, like the archive of races are all okay. on there. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And then there's some networks like, I mean, I don't know about the US, but like in Canada, for example, 
rowing is a bit of a popular sport. So when the world championships happen, sometimes they'll air it on TV and that kind of thing too. But nice. we get, um, we get row sports like that on, yeah. on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, def- definitely. Yeah. Uh, I'm basically so, gotta be in some channel. I'm basically in Canada anyway. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Michigan ESPN Ocho Cinco. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what channel it's on. So we've got all those things coming up and obviously folks can find you on uh, Instagram. It's mm-hmm. CF one Roper. CF Roper one five Roper one five. Yeah. So they can find, they can find you there. They can find you on uh, LinkedIn as mm-hmm. Chris Roper. O L Y. That's right. Uh, they can find you there. They can find, come be the other, like the third follower with me. <laughs> Roper athlete, which was like, as soon as you type her name in, that's the first thing that pops up is <laughs> her and her, you know, Superman pose and 35 medals. Really? Oh, I need to go check this out. Should yeah, I follow myself? Ro- it's on Facebook. It's Kristen Roper athlete. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's one. Well, maybe, maybe I'm reading that wrong. Maybe it's like mm-hmm. one new one. And I clicked it and it went two. I was like, oh shit. That's- <laughs> okay. I got it. So make, make sure you're taking the time and, you know, and look, if you can't find Kristen, and you want some information, you can reach out to us on yeah. Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, Dog on TikTok, Instagram. It's all the above the bar podcast. Emails the above the bar podcast at gmail.com. If you got that sticker, you want to find out how to talk to Kristen. Uh, we're going to hook up Kristen and Kristen, C Kristen and K Kristen. And then we can figure out this whole speaking mm-hmm. arrangement deal. Uh, Dibs, you got it. Oh, and don't forget tomorrow we have the special show, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to have a bunch of old Marines that are now all retired telling lies about how amazing we were while trying to figure out who was actually, you know, tells the truth. We were all the best. Trust me. <laughs> they all, I used to drive them. Kristen, I used to drive them some bitches nuts. nuts then you were doing I, it right. Then you I was, cause right. I was senior to all of them. I was, I, I, I let them all, I retired before all of them. And then they all surpassed me in rank and, Oh, it's so great that they're, but I used to t- torture them. Like, <laughs> Like they would send me kids to go to boot camp, and I'd be like, you know, your kids just jacked up, like just jacked up. Just they're like, what, what, Gunny? I'd be like, come get him. He ain't going to boot camp. <laughs> like get so mad at me. I was that Whoa. guy. Dibs, you got anything coming up? Um, I don't know about coming up. I mean, we got our schedule still going. We're rocking away. But huge shout out, uh, former snow player from two years ago, Logan Lambden. Just uh, got loaned over to the Chicago Wolves. He's one step away from the NHL, so it's a huge thing for us. Nice. Yep, it's awesome. Now, He's tell badass. me more about what now. What is the NHL? What is Easy that? now. Easy now, lacrosse. I don't watch. I watch lacrosse. See, and and I L, and I L L National. No, Indoor it's League. it's huge for us. I mean, to to have our players come from us to have him go up to play with the K Wings to be rookie of the year last year, and now to see him in the AHL and just that one step away from getting to the show is it's a big deal for us. It's why we started the league and the teams. So nice. So we have one simple rule and remember, don't log off afterwards, Kristen. We have one okay. simple rule. The guest always gets the last word. So what is the final word? Whew. Final word is, I don't know. I guess I'll end it with like a bit of a challenge to anybody is to just like try something new that you don't know if you'll be good at or not just for the sake of putting yourself out there and you never can tell what will happen so yeah 
Already, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been an Earplug Podcast presentation found on EarplugPodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found. 